0: Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Mangum Reads. No more introductions, y'all remember who we are from the last episode, but just in case. I'm your host, Spencer, and joining me are BJ and Sarah. How y'all doing?
1: I'm doing well, Spencer. How are you? I you know,
0: looking forward to discuss a few more Hugo-nominated short stories.
2: How about you, BJ? I love that you've decided that you're the host of this, and it it just makes me happy. I've reserved
0: that right, given y'all make me do the damn intros for this thing. <laughs>
1: fair enough it's understandable I I
0: appreciate it I'm just telling you that I'm amused plus the role of the host is to get more entertaining people present and have them talk which I'm always happy to do with these podcasts (laughs) well going through this week we've been uh, BJ. you providing such just wonderful
2: pairings of stories that are so thematically appropriate together for this week what two have you given us um, so this week, uh, we have the last two of the Hugo nominees uh, for this year, or for last year, because it's a retrospective, um, and it is a Catalog of Storms and uh, Beneath... Uh, sorry, Do Not Look Back, My Lion. Um, beneath Seathless Skies is where it was published. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, Catalog of Storms is by Fran Wild, and Do Not Look Back, My Lion is by Alex Harrow, which... I believe we have discussed before, and I want to say cat pictures, but that doesn't sound right. It definitely an author, it sounds familiar, but I could not place him. No. Or her, for that matter. Uh, I could pull up up a list of short stories, but none is screaming out to me right now. Um, But we were going to discuss, so Spencer and I had talked a little bit about how we felt about these stories before, before, before Mm -hmm. of all of the things. Um, Oh, it was A Witch's Guide to Escape. Oh, okay yeah you're right Right all there, right. that was fun uh one Slightly of the different all, story
0: one of the things i've found fun for doing these podcasts is to reveal early on what we all think on the, just the off wonderful chance that one person is the odd person out and has to feel awkward <laughs> throughout the entire podcast um, that's which
1: awesome. is the best right. possible content that we can deal right.
2: with oh <laughs> yes and, and we're all looking at you right now sarah just so you know <laughs>
1: oh boy. yeah ahead. you all have had this conversation before i joined the call um, exactly. Can I get any sort of preview on how you think feel uh, about these stories?
2: Oh no,
0: we'll we'll go into detail. Why not? Uh, we, uh, BJ, let me know if this is a fair assessment. Uh, to put it mildly, catalog of storms did not resonate well with us, really, really at all. Uh, in BJ's words, I believe you described it as that kind of art project at the airport that you vaguely <laughs> nod at as you run as you run past to your gate.
2: Yeah, so so that was I, I was being a little bit more um, uh, allegorical than than maybe I would be otherwise. But it while I sort of enjoyed it as a story, it was it seemed a little bit more of an art project rather than something to be enjoyed by people that like to actually read short stories,
1: like actual people in the world. Yeah. Um, okay, and so can I because I have. I, I certainly have a cocktail, but I also have some one star reviews that I would like to discuss. Um, what did you all think of the second story, just so I know where we are?
0: This one I actually liked. Uh, I kind of, similar to what I mentioned to my dad the other day, was kind of jonesing for just a, a much more straightforward story that just serves as a very traditional story structure. This one worked with me. It was more grounded. Uh, the emotions resonated with me. The, it actually was a fair amount of interesting world building. It was very pulpy conan barbarian when it came to the setting but i kind of actually liked that as it turned out which i found unexpected so yeah i wouldn't put it my top wouldn't be wouldn't top out my list but in
2: terms of just a pleasant interesting read it worked well with me um and so hearkening back to a conversation that i had with a certain person in my life namely my mother um there are things about it that i really appreciated and there are things that just didn't feel right and uh to go blue really quickly I feel like the use of fuck is lazy sometimes, mm-hmm. and a sp- there there is part of the vernacular where, like, I understand and I appreciate it as an exclamation or something like that, but in something that is meant to be a little bit more literature, um, it sometimes feels, and it very much in this story, it feels lazy.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that, that that makes sense and sort of jives, uh, jives with my experience particularly of kind of how that word is used in ways that it just necessarily, it it is not necessary to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I will say, kind of pursuant to both of your <laughs> high level.
0: Let's see where we go.
1: No, I I I actually have. Well, we'll get there, Uh, but Mm. to get to our sort of early segments in these episodes, um, and I think pursuant to both of your opinions about what is going on in these stories, uh, both of my segments, i.e. the cocktail as well as the one-star review, have to do with the catalog of clouds, or catalog of storms. catalog of storms.
2: Perfect. Yes. So so pursuant to Opposing Counsel's uh,
1: (laughs) opening (laughs) statement, (laughs) Mm
0: We, we turned a cross for you, Sarah. Please take, Please go I, to <laughs> it. I like
1: that my cross is really a slant of everything else that is going on <laughs> in this
2: podcast. So, opposing so counsel, please enter your, your first bit of evidence in, into the record. I believe uh, it is a, of a liquid nature?
1: It is of a liquid nature, um, and it is not rain, I will say. Uh, it is a cocktail that I'm actually very proud of, and it is called a weather-be-damned cocktail.
0: Oh, well, that's on point. Yes,
1: I couldn't find, slash I didn't um, have time to find, uh, one that crosses both of these stories, which are, are similar in some ways, but also, like, very, very different in others. So I decided to go with the first one that I read. I have a Weather Be Damned cocktail, which is also apropos, given The one-star reviews? Well, that's TBD, BJ. <laughs> <laughs> um... But it has, we are in May in North Carolina, and it has been raining in the 50s for three days straight. Um, so I have made a weather-be-damned cocktail, both in reference to this short story as well as in reference to my life situation. And it is it is a relatively tropical cocktail, um, but it has a a skosh of triple sec, a skosh of Um, orange juice although I have used grapefruit juice because we are still sort of under lockdown and I'm not going to the grocery store when I don't have to Um, a half ounce of sweet vermouth and then a full ounce of gin and I'm using um, a gin that is specifically out of uh, the chemist distillery in Asheville and so the whole thing is a little tropical it is very light it is very unappetizing in the dire weather situations we find ourselves in. But I am drinking it in spite of all of that. And actually, it's very good. Uh, it is it is light. It has a little bit of bite to it, um, particularly because the sweet vermouth that I'm using is a red vermouth. Hmm. And um,
2: and probably the grapefruit juice will round it out a little bit.
1: Yes, I, I do think... At least for for me and my taste the grapefruit juice is a better option than the orange juice because it has a little bit more bite to it um Mm. so it's delicious and that is where where i've been in this weather be damned situation
2: so so we're gonna name the cocktail do not look out the window my lion (laughs) that that seems fair yes well as a drink that's intended
0: despite the weather it seems very appropriate for that story really
1: Yeah, I don't, I, I, because drinking it, you feel like you should be in some sort of tropical paradise. It is very citrus based. Um, it's very light and we are in very much a sort of like (laughs) bourbon or brandy situation Yeah, (laughs) in the actual weather, but here we are.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, so before we get too deep into how we feel about these last two of the Hugo nominees, uh, we actually have one star reviews, it sounds like, and I'm curious and somewhat excited.
1: Yeah, so it's... I have found a sort of weird little crossover for us. Okay. Um, and I'm I'm trying to pull it up. Where did it go? Sorry, my photos app has <laughs> recapitulated itself in ways that are distressing to me. Um, so I decided... We are in two different short stories. Mm-hmm. And so it felt a little bit... Like, as we have frequently talked about short stories, that there are not, like, specific reviews related to them, especially when they have been published online, unless there are comments underneath them, which they they are not here. But I was interested, especially in this Catalog of Storms story. In There what are Goodreads ratings. Are there specifically for this story?
2: Yes, ma'am. There are no one-star reviews. I
1: assumed that there were not and looked up the author instead. Uh, Gotcha. So if you have them, BJ, that would be great. But I looked up up the author, and it seems like a lot of the other things that she has written have been kind of in the same universe of stories and novels that take a particular perspective from their starting point and decide to run from there. Uh, Some of which I will sort of sotto voce, say, are derivative of N.K. Jemisin, but that's fine. But I did, I thought it was interesting that um, I found a review on Goodreads for one of her novels, the first in a a series of novels called Updraft, and I was interested in it because it seems sort of Mm -hmm. wind-related, but Ken Liu has blurbed her novels.
2: (sighs) I don't know how I feel about (laughs) Ken Liu. Like, I I feel like he he doesn't know a a good short story when he writes them
1: well <laughs> just wait bj <laughs> oh, God. because i chose this specifically for the segment because the literally the only interaction on goodreads is Lu writing or really reproducing his blurb and then one person responding to it <laughs> which is particularly why i've chosen this so Lu has written in the and to again to be clear this is of not the short story that we're talking about, but this is of a a novel of from the reader or from the writer that we are that we are discussing. Uh, Ken Lu wrote. I love. I, I blurbed this book colon and then we get into the blurb. A lovingly, carefully crafted world, an engineering marvel, filled with captivating characters whose struggles and triumphs will thrill the reader and linger long in the imagination. I want to live in the world Wild has created. So this has 18 upvotes on Goodreads and one comment. Would you like to hear the comment?
2: Please. Yes, please.
1: Okay, uh, and this is from a user called Simeon Man. Start there. I think you have completely overhyped the book. <laughs> it <laughs> was nothing special, and the more one thinks about the world, nay, small city slash town the more one realizes that it doesn't make much sense from how the people live to the problems they face. I only imagine what this book could have been, not what it was. Okay. Which I think, like, a, both I like that someone has clapped back in Lou Yeah. <laughs> For all of the reasons that we have discussed. But I also, I think it's interesting that this person has gone into... What we have talked about, actually, with all of these episodes of short stories that we have talked about, which is the question of, does it matter what this short story could have been? And granted, this is talking about a novel, so it's not exactly analogous, but it Mm -hmm. it correlates to things that we've talked about. Does it matter what the short story could have been, or does it matter what it is on the page?
0: And I think at times, almost the idea of what it could have been almost frustrates us more. Mm Mm-hmm. So we've talked i think we've talked in much greater detail about our frustrations with stories that could have done things better as compared to stories that we just straight up liked
1: yes which has come out i think uh in particularly stark contrast to when we have discussed in this list what are what the stories we would recommend are
3: mm-hmm.
1: versus what the stories we liked were <laughs> and those are frequently very different lists
0: um, I'm looking through the uh, Goodreads reviews right now and BJ if you're there too would you agree that it seems to be a heck of a lot of three-star reviews that say interesting but confusing <laughs> in, ver- in in various
2: ways Yeah um so I think that I think it'd be very interesting and it looks like Goodreads is doing a lot more uh allowing short stories into their ratings more recently. And I think the older short stories that we were doing, like there was nothing, but now um, I was looking through pretty much all of the stories that we're going through and there is a Goodreads entry for pretty much all of them. Oh,
1: interesting.
2: Um, and so I think it would be worthwhile to uh, go through go through them when we do our summation and sort of talk about like the, the work in general. Sure. Um, there aren't many... Yeah, this seems, um, this seems like a very new feature of Goodreads that they have these. Yes, um, and it, there looks like you know they're about they're under like fifty reviews for each, um, and and not very many ratings. So it does seem like a new thing, which I I think is good and, and is interesting. Um, I my favorite, and we're gonna have to discuss this at some point. Is I didn't read this two stars. The cover art was interesting and things like that, but. Um, shall we start with a catalog of storms since we have talked about it and it is, um, interesting and, and, uh, not to put you on the spot, but a hundred percent I'm going to anyway. Sarah, how did you feel about this short story?
1: I mean, um, so this is the one I read and we've talked about this in other episodes in these pairings. Um, I think it matters which story you read first. Mm Mm-hmm. I read this one first, and it is, my take on it is that it is a beautifully written sort of lyric nonsense.
0: <laughs> well said.
1: I mean, I'd, like, I'd, and I was legitimately in on the discussion of what was happening in terms of the storm. I was interested in the, like, weird categorizations of storms that happen from different people, uh, which harken back to Cannibal Woman, uh, Women of Ratnambar Island. I was kind of into that, but like, it's not a s- story.
2: Uh, yeah. Nothing
1: happened. Well, I mean, I guess things happen, but like, I don't ca- care about what happens.
2: Yeah. I.
1: So it's hard to classify as a story because I think that like the writing is beautiful, and I'm I I, I really am very into kind of the descriptions that are happening, but I don't care about the characters. I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what the weathermen are.
2: So, so I feel I like, don't
1: understand what happens at the end of the story. Like, I just don't know.
2: Um, so, so Spencer and I talked a little bit about this, and, and I think that there are two ways to look at the story that we've, I think, mostly agreed on, which okay. is either this is a fantasy world and people are literally turning into weather mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. or
2: go ahead sponsor uh, or it is intensely allegorical uh, that
0: all of these are stand-ins for something else That the majority of these storms are actually descriptions of emotions and that all of this should be interpreted in a very indirect kind of way mm-hmm and if that's the case I just don't get it it's it's either airy poetic it's either overly airy and poetic to the point that it's not really a short story, it's a long, free, a overly long, freeform poem, or it is so indirectly discussing its actual purpose that it did not resonate with me all, and all I can just kind of do is shrug in confusion at it as I walk past in the airport.
1: Yeah. Um, so like if we were going to do this sort of 10,000 foot view of what is going on in this story. It is the idea that we are we are living in a society where sort of protectors of the, sci- the, of the society are necessary. Right. And they are chosen from birth. And uh, they are both revered and sort of f- feared in some way. Yeah, the, and the, so our this, main... I was yeah, going to say, ahead.
2: I feel like... So the setting that we have is like a coastal town. In a post-apocalyptic kind of world. Yeah. Uh, okay, I guess, I don't know. I, I, I didn't pick up on the post-apocalyptic or I, I read it a couple well, of I times. Well, I guess
1: it's a question of like, is it, and this, this is I think a probably genuine question, is it post, post-apocalyptic or is it fantasy? It's
0: hard to say. There's a description that we get from the mother that she remembers a time back when there was a blue sky, or at least she remembers people talking about that time. We hear right. passed down stories from the one I'll call surviving twin that talk about how they broke the weather, and then the weather became alive and came to get them, and then they had to learn how to control and respond to the weather. So, mm-hmm. and the, they, a lot of their original buildings, including that one building from the old age, that's on the Cliff Watch still exist but they've been weathered and broken down by the storms until they were able to finally fight them so in my mind it seems to describe what is like a slast surviving vestige of a prior world that's only able to persist due to this community sacrifice kind of thing um but it is all passed down through this kind of oral tradition so it's not made clear or whether it's just the stories they share about a better world that was made may never have existed
2: yeah and i guess i would say that i don't really consider like the fifth season to be post-apocalyptic fiction. No, it's fantasy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but, but it is post-apocalyptic.
1: Sure, that's true. Yeah,
0: I feel like post-apocalyptic by definition needs to be apocalyptic of our world,
2: that it's existing in an Mm -hmm. entirely foreign setting. It doesn't really fit the genre. And so that's why I don't consider this post-apocalyptic because either it's allegorical in a way that I, I would almost dislike it if it was allegorical, um, Mm. without, because then I think it's poorly written, I guess, is, (laughs) is sort of my, my thinking about it is if it's allegorical, then there should be some sort of emotional connection with, um, anything. Yeah. (laughs) So, so in in general this is about a sea town that's being buffeted by storms and there are these things there are these people Maybe. called weathermen that uh sort of deal with the weather but in description by the story eventually turn into weather and they're you know they're recognized as certain storms that come in is oh that's this person that turned into a storm
3: right. and or, or-
0: or this kind of storm based on the signs. They're catalogs that they each individually keep
2: describing the storms by their nature and identifiers. Yes, Mm -hmm. thank you. Um, And so if this is an allegory and the main character, who is a young girl and, and her sister, are experiencing some Trauma, or emotional rite of passage, or emotional outlash based on some trauma, or something like that. It never comes. Like it never comes through. No.
0: And it's one of the things where I get frustrated because we get very different descriptions of storms across the three. I think it's three different descriptions we get. At least in the first set, which comes from the one sibling that does become a weatherman and eventually disappears into the weather as part of fighting it. Most of those, while they are entirely foreign storms to us, could at least be assigned as some kind of fantastical equivalent of storms. Even if some of them come across with a seemingly emotional community kind of manifestation, rather than necessarily weather. Like, the glare seems like community ostracizing, rather than necessarily a storm, for example. Mm Or other things along those lines describe almost as, like, a romantic feeling or a sense of separation. But there's enough of a connection back to storm-like elements that sure i'm willing to work with it it's a very fantasy setting but as we start to get into the stories of our main character she is describing emotional events occurring in her family she's talking about a very different kind of weather and i it's inconsistent to the point that i don't know whether to take it that it's because she's not really seeing the weather but just was wants to share something with her sister which could explain her sister's kind of mocking laugh when she shows her the catalog or if she's actually describing the weather i just didn't understand the first storms correctly the first way around it's inconsistent and it's never made clear how we should look at it which it could be intentional but if so it's very frustrating
1: yeah and it's not it's not consistent even it it, it even if it is intentional right
3: mm-hmm.
1: um which is possibly the the most frustrating part about this story all of these descriptions are sort of lyrical and beautiful in their in their own way, and i't I, I guess it, when I read the story, I assumed that we were kind of in a fantasy realm where the first sister that we encounter has actually gone to join this sort of weather society mm-hmm. uh, and that her descriptions of storms were like fairly literal in how they 're going through it, and she is sort of followed by a younger sister who is envious of her Mm -hmm. and is mirroring these descriptions and actions in a way that she thinks is right but is reflecting her own inner reality
0: and i would totally buy that and be down with that but if so the book is undercutting itself by the end of where mm-hmm. suddenly yep. at the moment when the great storm comes, yes. it's that sister who is understanding it and feeling it and ready to join her, which yes. seems entirely inconsistent with her understanding of storms previously. Yeah. So, and, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Spencer. No, no. I was,
2: I, I was going to transition to one of you two. We we're about we saying thanks. Um, so I guess I, I feel like we should do like a quick description of the storms themselves and, and make it clear like what the differences between the two um so i'm just going to choose a random one from Mm. um the Lilith's uh storms uh Mm -hmm. so a vivid that bright sunlit rainbow edge storm that seduces young women out into the early morning before they've been properly wrapped in cloaks the one that gets into their lungs and makes them sing until they cry until they can only taste food made of milk and honey and they grow pale and glass-eyed beware vivids in spring for the bride's sake
0: Mm -hmm. now as said this could be interpreted at least as a literal event i think it probably is in the context Mm -hmm. of this story but if we were just reading someone say this and describing a storm like in a poem setting you would look at this and go well that is an intensely vivid description of something that is in any way not a storm
1: yeah yeah. No, like I feel like I kind of know what that is. If you were just talking about the atmosphere and how it makes me feel, but mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the atmosphere itself.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, is, and so, BJ, you already the other. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Let's continue. Yeah, Let's continue. Good. so so one of the other ones, um, and I told you not to, Sila An angry storm only happens when somebody finds your list. The kind that happened when they burned the list, so that no one will know you're catching wayward.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, like as you were saying, it's like. I don't know what that means like I, like as an emotion like i get mm-hmm. that but like mm-hmm. as a storm i don't and so it feels like it's like we're getting cut both ways with the actual descriptions of the storms yeah and it, it just it, it, it yeah, feels because it
1: like... does feel like in 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 the sort of former category that the association with these sort of like deeply emotional and psychological feelings you can associate with those that, you can associate those with weather in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Like that physical connection is still there. And it's completely in the second set of descriptions. It is completely divorced from the weather referent.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it just is an example of one of the biggest problems of the story is that it's not willing to commit in directions where it could have mm-hmm. been more successful, that it's trying, it is trying to be many things and cross categories. As part of being a short story, and is failing for not deciding where it would work best and going there. And it's so true. Mm-hmm.
1: It, go ahead, Spencer. I'm sorry.
0: But I feel it's true, even in just what we described as inconsistency with respect to the stories, that I think it could have worked really well if they'd emphasized where the story seemed to be going and the idea that she wants to be close to her fi- sister. She's feeling the loss mm-hmm. of her sister not being there. She wants to connect with her sister in this one way that she can't really share. So she's imagining that this emotional feeling of storms is something she's actually sharing but these are examples that it isn't actually real she's feeling the emotions that a girl her age would feel and she's describing
2: them the sense of storms because that's how their society is built and i think to make a comparison to a previous story that we read that i think has some similar issues which is blood is another word for hunger If there were so there are, I think three lists of storms that we get. One from Mm -hmm. the older sister that I read from, and then I read from the second of the two from the younger sister. Mm -hmm. If there were progression, if Mm -hmm. there was an an evolution of the the descriptions in one way or another, honestly, we would know more about what this story is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But we have a very static. Uh, main character in in a world that the progression is, is of this main character is sort of necessary to tell a broader story if that 's going to be the focus, and if it 's not mm-hmm. going to be the focus, the focus should be should have been somewhere else. This could be a very yeah. fascinating world where people in describing <laughs> storms somehow take some sort of control of them, and we could mm-hmm. learn a lot more about this world.
0: Oh, yeah. If, if, if this had been a broken earth, but associated on weather, that could have been fun and interesting. Yeah. Um, I feel like it would need to be long. This is the weird thing. As it, what it is in terms of its lyrical success, which I agree, this is a very interesting poem in terms of its lyrical style. I feel it is far too long. I feel it is far, focusing on far too many things. If it had been poetry and been like a fifth as long and much more focused, that could have worked. As a short story... I feel like it is giving us nowhere near enough to be successful and could have been a novella and
2: maybe, maybe would have had enough time to develop these further. So Sarah, yeah. mm-hmm. project for you. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Instead of the fifth season being, you know, dealing with, with earth tremors, you know, and, and a catalog of storms where, where, uh, people have some control of storms as, you know, some emotional connection and understanding.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll get right on that. Thanks. Because <laughs> I think it'd be an
2: interesting short story, but this isn't it. No, of course it.
1: it is. Yeah. The, no, this isn't it. And it's interesting. Um, you know, I I can't remember, and Spencer, maybe you can kind of illuminate us on this. Uh, but at some point in our reading of these stories, you had read two wrong stories together. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you remind us what the two stories you <laughs> read together are?
0: It was this and the Cannibal Woman of Rattenborough Island.
1: Yes, okay, thank you. So this is what I was hoping it would have been.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Can you imagine reading these two together?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, they are, uh, I think we have, obviously, as we have discussed, polar opposite opinions on how successful they are. But it's interesting to me that they are both, in some ways, dealing in these forms Mm
3: -hmm.
1: that are outside of a narrative form right and they are turn trying to turn a different form into a narrative form
2: mhm yeah uh
1: and particularly trying to to turn some sort of like paratextual extra extra textual form into into a narrative form and we do we do get hints of that in this short story it's just not like particularly successful yeah but if you're thinking about like telling a story through the list of storms that happens sometimes and I would have been down for that. Yep. That is honestly
0: the part of the story I find most interesting, is just the lists. That could have been a really interesting story to focus on, mm-hmm. or at least a really interesting long-form, free-form poem. That I like. It's all this story around it that doesn't make any damn sense and just, just and, and doesn't, doesn't work with me. Yeah,
1: yeah, it doesn't. it doesn't do anything, but it's interesting to think about the idea of, and honestly, especially the more allegorical moments of these lists. Like, let's tell a story about what's going on in a family, mm-hmm. but through the sort of, like, catalog of storms. Uh, but it doesn't get there, and it's not interested in that, which I find fascinating. It,
0: it yeah. doesn't, really, doesn't really seem like it's interested in telling a coherent, a coherent or classical narrative either. I mean, would you guys agree that we get about f- three or four different time points in this story? uh that don't always occur in order like we get a lot of moments of when they are picking over the ruins of cliff watch that i think are happening far in the future of where the story seemingly ends i
1: thought or far in the past
2: yeah (sighs) i i I thought that that it was mostly in order but a little bit of like reminiscence of Mm -hmm. like the main character okay
0: anybody there
1: sorry i lost you for a second
2: Oh, I just figured I could outweigh Spencer and make him tough. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You succeeded. Go on. Um,
1: (laughs) What
0: were you saying, bitch? You're talking about events in order or not?
2: Yeah, so I figured this was reminiscence of when they were together as a family and going through different uh, rubble that was created by storms, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to somewhere far in the future and, and... For the most part, I think that there was one that felt a little bit in the future because there was this very weird secondary description of like things being etched into different pieces of rubble. Like, I think it was Mm -hmm. like metal pieces getting etches of storm lists and descriptions.
1: Yeah, that seemed like it was post the sort of main storm in this story.
2: Because
0: they're particularly trying to find artifacts of Lilith. Is that her name? Is that the one Weatherman sibling? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, memories of her. Things that they associate with her. And they're very distinctly picking through the ruins of Cliff Watch when they do it. Um,
1: yeah. But But that action happens well in advance of this specific sort of searching for narrative
0: it's weird too because we, over the course of this narrative we see cliff watch seemingly very rapidly run from what is a isolated house to a isolated ruin and i yeah. i can't really make clear what time is passing there or not
1: no and it's it, the the part of the problem is it's unclear whether you're supposed to or not yeah
0: I, 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 that, I think I runs with my main problem in the story. So I'm I am unclear how I'm supposed to when it comes to this thing.
1: Mm-hmm. How you are supposed to understand time, read it, empathize with the characters, all I, I, of the I, things. Unclear how you're supposed to
0: and I think that's one of the big ones, because the common thread between these stories is the idea of a family's sacrifice for the common purpose about what mm-hmm. a family has to bear for the sake of what the community is deemed necessary, in this case mm-hmm. being survival and the other case being a a common cause of situated around an individual's need for war and that really works with your reader based on how much you emotionally get into the idea of the sacrifice the family is enduring. But I don't know about you guys, but these, I never really gotten other than in the the brief catalogs. I never really got into the mindset or the heart or the feeling of the characters at all with this. They were just names on a page that, uh, that events were occurring to.
1: Well, it's interesting because, like, in some ways, this is a correlate of, like, the Hunger Games, right? <laughs> the I Volunteer as Tribute. Like, there is some sort of... Um, while that is a little bit more random on on who gets chosen, there is this idea of someone from your community is going to make a sacrifice and potentially the ultimate sacrifice mm-hmm. to protect the community.
2: Yeah. And it also feels a little bit tied in with like a coming of age story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. sort of like the, a little bit of like the virgin sacrifice kind of coming of age coming mm-hmm. together where it's just like, okay, well, you know, to appease the volcano dragon or, you know, whatever. Yep. As women usually come of age, like this is a, a thing that they have to go through. Right? Yes.
1: Do- and like, it's, it, it, I, I really don't mean to throw Hunger Games under the bus here because I, I, yeah, I actually think that that's like a much, and well, but like, really, I think that's a much more successful telling of this story than the short story Yes.
0: And I feel like if that was the objective of the story, to tell that kind of coming-of-age thing, right? it is really hard to do that essentially in third-person, of where your narrator isn't really getting to experience that coming-of-age moment, other than with a sense of loss, that it mm-hmm. almost feels like the main person who's having the coming-of-age journey, she's just describing them without ever really getting to interact with them other than once in the entire damn story.
1: Yeah, don't you need somebody to care about in this story? <sighs>
0: I guess your level of caring is dependent on how much you feel the sense of loss of a sister, because that seems to be what the entire story is being framed around, particularly at least where it, where it begins and ends. Yeah. But we never really get anything of that. Closest we ever get is these catalogs, which, again, I think are interesting, not done necessarily very well or, 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 or enough.
1: Mm-hmm. But other
0: than that, we don't really get much of an emotional connect other than a few off descriptions of just events occurring.
1: No, and it's interesting to hear you articulate it like that, Spencer, because, like, I am, I am an only child, and I am not predisposed to understand sibling connections, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to connect with uh, sort of vague references to what that feels like. Like, I don't, I literally don't understand that.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that there are times it is written well, but mm-hmm. as you said, like when it's a vague reference to it, it's just like, I, I don't know. Like that, that, that doesn't connect for me. And, and to, I, it's like when stories are predicated on outside knowledge, mm-hmm. it is problematic when they're released to a wide audience. It's kind of like yes. if somebody takes fan fiction and then like releases it to the general populace and it's like, well... It doesn't mean anything unless you've read everything else.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's hard because it gets like this conversation gets into the conversation of like, well, can you write or read about things that are not in your personal experience? Right. And of course you can. Sure. I I would argue that of course you can, but you have to do so carefully and you have to do so well. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I, I think that's
0: been part of the fun of going through all these short stories. And the fun thing that Hugo has been emphasizing over recent years is trying to get different perspectives on things and get a wider audience to read them. Yes. And we've seen that in these stories. I, as a straight white male, have not been the main focus of many of these tales. Mm-hmm. But I've had a fascinating time going through the vast majority of them. Because they've been well written enough to give me a resonating point, to give me enough exposure to a world to care, and then go with that, having, having established it. It's also apparent where that just doesn't
2: work or where the author has failed in that regard. And I think it's interesting because there are times that it feels like it'd be lovely if there, like there was some like tasting notes, like, cause (laughs) there are some times that (laughs) an author has clear, like has clearly done like the right job in, in allowing something to be consumed by a wide audience. And Mm -hmm. then there are times that it just. Doesn't seem that way. And I can, especially like once we talk about it, cause usually I don't put all that much thought, especially into reading relatively short stories, like who would this work really well for? And yeah. it, and some short stories I think would be like really good for a certain group of people that have a certain set of experiences. And when it, when I as a reader, am not in that list. I just don't enjoy it as much, and that's not to detract from how the writer has written a story, but how much I can enjoy it. Mm
1: -hmm. But you can also, at those points, kind of visualize what that list would be. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. And in this story, fundamentally, I don't understand who this is written for.
0: Mm it's one of those things, too, where there's been plenty of stories over the years of where, like, well, I don't feel like I'm the intended audience, but I still can really mm-hmm. appreciate the craft, I can still really appreciate the effort, and I can still get the emotions even if they're not going to resonate with me as much. Like you just said, I don't know who even that would necessarily be other than maybe someone who just just experienced a loss in the family.
1: Yeah, And nice. even then, like, it's pretty...
0: It's pretty yeah. abstract for that, Obscure,
1: too. right? Like, I don't, know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't... This... It's interesting, and I know you all talked about this before we started recording. But like, I don't, I don't have any connection with this story at all,
3: mm-hmm. except yeah, for so. the fact
1: that I've had several cocktails that are based <laughs> on this story. I don't have any <laughs> any understanding of what's going on here or why I should why I should care about this. Like, it does have a particular set of poetics that I think is really beautiful.
3: Hmm.
1: Um, but I would, in some ways. And not not entirely. I would, but I would equate it for me to the reading experience of. And I have forgotten what it is in our first episode, the one that I didn't like. Uh,
2: and now his lordship mm. is laughing, or like. Yes, first, and no, first the, other one, the other
1: one, the other one, the uh, other no, one.
2: As the last, as as the last, I may know.
1: As the last, I may know. Yes, all of these stories have had terrible titles, and we should they probably have. talk about that. <laughs> We're going to hit a worse um, one here the in, last in a second. I know, and you know, in that story. Hmm actually had a plot that I cared about, although I wasn't like super invested in it in ways that we have talked about. But I think Mm. that it hit for me some of the same notes of this is beautiful writing. Mm -hmm. And I understand it as beautiful writing, but beyond that, I don't care. Mm -hmm.
2: Which I find interesting because out of the three of us, you Mm -hmm. seem to be the only person that happily reads things that don't have particular plots. I know don't have particular character (laughs) development. They, but often have characters and yes. So it's interesting in telling and, and, you know, maybe at some point we can figure out what the difference between like this and station 11 is that, that makes it, you know, in two very obviously separate piles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, I do think you're right, and I would just say I would just say sort of overall, I'm an enigma and a mystery, BJ. I don't know <laughs> what to tell you beyond that, but I do I do take your point that like what I have liked about Station Eleven is that it is a sort of gorgeously written piece of prose. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if maybe there's a threshold of plot that has to be there.
0: Or maybe
1: I'm, like, just more amenable to novels as opposed to short stories, which is entirely possible. Yeah. Because I I actually don't have much experience with short stories other than what we've done. I don't know.
0: Interesting. I I feel like it's effectively writing for your medium. Is that you can write a short story to be just poetics. You can write a short story to be more focused on plot. You can do a novel that has a fair amount of prose, but it still needs to work for its setting. Something can be beautifully written, but just utterly ineffective for the kind of story you've aimed to write.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, I do think, you know, we've talked on this podcast before about the author being dead, um, but there is a baseline of, have you achieved just the genre conventions that you meant to? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't... What would you say the author's objective here? What When the author wrote this, what did they want to bring across? Do we have an idea...
1: If I were going to be real honest, I think that what this author wanted to do Mm -hmm. was to put forth the catalog of storms and needed some sort of framing narrative in which to do that.
0: And I, if that is the case, that is a mistake by the author. Yes. I almost feel like the storms themselves would have served as a more interesting framing narrative than what the author decided to use.
1: But you do agree that, like, the description of the storms themselves is the strongest part of this story.
0: Absolutely. I found that yeah. fascinating. It was, I, I spent more time debating and analyzing those than I ever did with the rest of what is actually a
2: fairly long short story.
1: So uh, it took a long time to read. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that says something else. Uh, so the other thing that I, I, I dislike about the story is that there are three catalogs and two of them are basically the same. The last two? Yeah. Yeah. And
1: mm, interesting. Yeah. And
2: that's sort of, I feel like I've run into this a number of times where it's just like, there, there, there needs to be like a progression unless you're, what? Progression? Yeah. A progression. And it does like, it, it doesn't need to be, you know, directly from beginning to the end and they're, they're, you know, they're literary, um. Uh, we 'll call them projects that that don 't do that or follow that or, or something, but um, there should be some sort of direction or or point to to having written what you 've written mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and when that 's lost it 's something that that frustrates me
0: mm-hmm. I almost yeah. feel like this would have been a more successful story, particularly if we view this as in some way a coming of age story or a dealing with loss or whatever else if this had been. Mm-hmm. the catalog of storms of Lilith in three parts, like as her progression, as her coming into this position and seeing Mm -hmm. how those change over time. And we almost just, just those, almost with no framing around it. And you can just read that and understand that through the development of the storms. We may not understand a damn thing about the world, but it would be such an interesting emotional journey to go through those.
1: Yeah, and that's like, that is honestly narrative enough to Mm -hmm. create some sort of story, but there are... There are all of these other facets that are coming in in the story as it's written that just don't belong, yeah, or belong to some other genre or or some other story that's being told. Like, there's just too much happening in this story.
2: And so the other thing that I could see this kind of being is um, another short story that that we read and talked about is uh, Cat Pictures Please that was mm-hmm. developed into a novel uh, that you read, Sarah that I could see this being a, you know, I should turn out a, some number of short stories as I work on my novels and, you know, get paid. And so, you know, some condensed versions of some novel thoughts that I have, I'm going to release, and then maybe release in a longer form. Mm -hmm. And this was sort of the excerpt isn't the right word, but the short form.
1: Yeah. And I was only going to interject to say that, like, excerpt isn't the word because, like, what this should have been, I think, is a short story is an actual excerpt, mm-hmm. which is not a, like, condensing of what the short, uh, of what the story should be, which I think is what the short story is, but a, like, actually carefully crafted out of the larger narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One moment. As it
0: stands, if you if you made this a novel, if you grew it, grew it to that, I feel like from what she what has been set up, it would just be a lesser version of the fifth season. In terms of the yes. setting, in terms of the yes. plot, in terms of the character's role. It would be a less successful narrative version of the fifth season. It might be very interestingly written. And if they mm-hmm. developed the catalogs more, that could be an interesting device. But I think the whole would just be a pale comparison. Yeah.
1: I think I, I think that's absolutely true she is this uh, this author is clearly a an exceptional writer in my mind she is not an exceptional be, well based on this one short story she's not an exceptional <laughs> narrative creator yeah mm. I did I get no story from this yeah um we do get a story however <laughs> <laughs> from our other, from our other selection for tonight. Uh, and I am interested to know what you all thought of the second story that we read. Uh,
3: uh, that's better.
0: better. <laughs> <laughs> We're too polite. Uh, f- for me, this story is much more straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly amazingly well written. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is very functional. It is very grounded. Uh, it has a goal. It has, a, it ha- has an objective. It accomplishes that. And it does so in a way that I thought was effective. I would never, I would, I'm honestly surprised this is nominated. And I don't mean that as over too much of a criticism because I think it's a good story. But it doesn't seem to be that much in fitting with what else we've read previously uh, in terms of the other nominees. I think it is a successful story that I would remember as being a successful part of a larger compilation. But as a unique nominee, I was a
2: little bit surprised. Uh, BJ,
1: could we have your opinion? And then I have a question to ask.
2: Yep. So I'm going to say something terrible. Um, and I'm just going to acknowledge it beforehand. Um, and I think that this was nominated for the same reason that certain other things have been nominated in various genres, which is this deals with a fluidly gendered and society Mm -hmm. in interesting ways but that aren't fleshed out enough for my taste, for them to be as highlighted as they are in this story. Man, if that's the point, that's really token.
1: So this was literally my question, BJ.
0: <laughs> you that's have what gotten I
1: there, exactly, is that I I liked this story. This was a, a perfectly serviceable story. I enjoyed reading it. Mm-hmm. I will probably not remember it a month from now, and that's fine. Um, but if we're thinking about it as an award nominee, if you, if you just went through, and this m- might be a terrible thing to say, but if you just went through and like reinserted the traditional gender roles mm-hmm. in this story, would it a make any difference? And would it ch- b change the story? Which are maybe the same question, but like, would it change how you read it once you understood what the conceit was?
2: and i guess that's my problem with this story is i i don't think it particularly changes the story mm-hmm. and i don't think that it says anything of any particular interest in in a you know emotionally impactful way um and even mm-hmm. if honestly you just assign opposite gender roles to it and that sort of is your your clutch because there is something to be said for the main character being a warrior and the, at least vessel for, uh, having a child, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that does impact somewhat to the story, but the other character that the other main character the main character, I would say to this story, um, plays the non-child bearing, but let's say prototypical female healer carer role
1: yeah and that's my question is does this story at any point undercut the idea of a of a sort of gender binary no i
3: don't really think i mean so. i
1: get like we sort are given of. well we are given the idea that like well women can play both roles but men are always the sort of just providers of sperm but beyond that we i i don't know
2: so we get, I think, two fluidities. Okay. But a lesser role for men in general. Mm hmm. And.
0: Yeah. This comes across as like a. This is very much like an Amazonian society as described in Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Put into like a cone of the barbarian kind of setting and almost almost like a cone of the barbarian gender swap at times. Um, that. Or yeah, men are very much secondary, their purpose is reproduction, or to be kind of slaves in the exterior. We hear them described as being slaves or servants or bond bond husbands in a certain way.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But not like camp followers problem. almost, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Camp
2: followers and it's like, well, sometimes if you know, they're of a particularly interesting household, they could essentially be the uh, shield maiden that is uncommon yeah. but like not really at the forefront. Yeah,
0: and they're, they're, we don't know clearly whether it's just this unique family that produces remarkably sized women, or whether this is in some way consistent across this world. But the men are generally described as being yeah. small, yeah. small, splite, weaker. It it um, is an interesting is an interesting description of the roles they play as not only just being cultural, but also being physical.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the idea that the the sort of like. Um and I'm I'm blanking on the terminology because I don't remember where the dividing line comes down but our main character uh whether she is classified as a wife or a husband or
0: she's, she's classified as a husband. she is she's, she's a husband it opens with ifa has been a good husband she knows
1: yes okay oh, this yeah. is yeah. yes that's right and this is why this is so difficult right but um it is unclear. Well, there is some conversation later about um, kind of exceptional warrior warriors will take spouses who are also ex- exceptional. It is unclear, like whether in the broader society, the fact that our main character is a woman who is also crippled mm-hmm. is normal, difficult, because we are in an exceptional situation in this narrative. Um, So that all gets wrapped in two and makes it more difficult. But I'm unclear if... So my my sense is that the sort of gendered narrative that we get is not a complicating narrative. It It doesn't complicate the traditional sort of accepted narrative. It simply switches it.
0: Yes, I think that's fair. Um, As as you guys described, our main character, Aoife, is in a very distinctly, almost tropey, motherly role in this story. Even if she's Mm -hmm. describing herself as a husband. That, with respect to the raising of children, with respect to the domestic duties, with respect to the roles that women are typically assigned to in a classic fantasy setting, particularly this kind of very much barbarian fantasy setting this is in, she's fulfilling all of those regardless of the label that she's using.
2: Yeah, and I guess and we it's don't like,
1: get a counter narrative for that,
2: right? And so I guess it's if she were male, described mm-hmm. in the story, and so all gender roles in a Conan the Barbarian setting were reversed, other mm-hmm. than childbearing. Mm-hmm. Yes, we get a Conan the Barbarian story or Corinne the Barbarian, or however you want to like <laughs> refer to it, and sure. there, the story wouldn't change particularly at all.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it's the reason I referred to it as token because it's really not what the story cares about. It chose to make this decision from the beginning, but that's not really what it wants to make hay about in this story.
1: It does it, no, it, but the 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 unfortunate thing is it pretends that that's what it is.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I I really would have preferred the story if it hadn't done that because it honestly just caused me to have to keep on doing double takes as I was reading through it. That. Where the story succeeded to me was in no way associated with that. If anything, that consistent inconsistency on the subject of gendered pronouns or gendered titles, Mm -hmm. it just, it required me to double read, which I don't think the story is best experienced with.
1: Because, like, let's say, for example, that this story was rewritten in an entirely sort of gender traditional way.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Wouldn't you have still had... The same concerns about our main character.
0: I would have had the same concerns, the same investment. The only significant difference would be that the husband figure, well, the the ma- presumably the male person that she's married to, wouldn't be mm-hmm. giving birth to the cho- wouldn't be giving birth to the child. But sure, you, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. some
1: logistic problems in. But you, you would have had that, the same, same emotional that notes. wouldn't have changed. Yeah, you would have had the same Which sense like, of taking. It's such a... Re- I don't. It just felt like such a reductive way of thinking about sort of gender and what is happening that you can just switch roles for particular people. And yes, it's a little complicated because you're not like straight swapping roles.
2: Mm -hmm. And that's why I kind of felt like it's really a... Like the story itself and the narrative itself is is a pleasant short story
3: and an interesting
2: short story. Mm -hmm. But the reason that it got nominated is this fluidity between... Like, what is a husband? What is a wife? What Mm -hmm. role does any given person play in society? But kind of like uh, the Catalog of Storms, it doesn't do well in... That part does not do well in a short story. The plot, it's great. It's a great short story plot, you know... It it's straightforward, it makes sense, it tugs in your heartstrings, it does all of the things that a short story should do. Mm-hmm.
1: This as a short story, sorry to interrupt you, BJ, but this as a short story would if you just took the like a bare plot of it, would perfectly fit into a Dunkin' Egg situation.
3: Yeah.
2: Well uh, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean um, if you if you leave gender out of it and all of the kind of other considerations, but like we are dealing in high fantasy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't think it needs to be high fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, I think this is, you know, you could say the same thing about a military family,
1: sure. you well, know, yeah. any military yeah. family,
2: yeah. like it could yeah. be a very modern story and, and so I think that the plot has a lot to be said for it. And I think that the trappings of it, because it's a short story are trappings and mm-hmm. we've Talked about this a couple of times, where you know there, are, you know at at some point in the genesis of this podcast, I had uh, assumptions and, and machinations that that the episode structure would talk about world building, characters, and plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I think it was you know a, a good fantasy that you know didn't come to fruition, and, <laughs> and Catalog and of Storms
3: I, go. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I
2: try, <laughs> try to assign right. that one. <laughs> But I think that, that, particularly with short stories, and we've discussed this before, it is the venue to focus on, on one thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and you
1: have to let other things go by
2: the wayside. And and it doesn't mean that they, they can't exist, but they can't be fleshed yes. out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so when they're not fleshed out, I think that there are certain things that you can and can't tackle. And I think it would have been... A much better story if we essentially had something in, you know, in terms of like the beginning where Aoife is she and she's a husband and every so often we'll have characters that, you know, a nice young boy and and hopefully he'll he'll be a good, you know, army wife or whatever. And that Mm -hmm. would be fine because it would add flavor to the world where we have an interesting piece of plot. But there was more of an idea there that that wanted to be flushed out, and I think it could be, and I think mm-hmm. it could be an interesting
1: mm-hmm.
2: novella or or novel. But again, that's not the medium that we're in. Right.
1: So can I ask you a question? Because like I I am not well versed in kind of fantasy and short story or uh, sorry fantasy and sci-fi forward short stories right we've read some of them obviously on this on this podcast Mm -hmm. uh but this short story particularly makes me wonder about how particularly kind of high fantasy conceits which i think that this is Mm -hmm. translate to short stories um simply because The novels that are successful in those kind of high fantasy conceits that I've read have focused so much on world building that it seems to me there's a possibility that that doesn't translate to the cuts you have to make if you are dealing in a sort of short story genre.
0: For this story, it seems like due to the limited setting or the limited framing, this story decided to build most of its world building on very well established fantasy tropes. That this is okay. a very archetypical barbarian society. They wor- they, their, only, their only purpose, their only value is war. Each individual from the very moment of their cradle is marked for the purpose of war. That's the only way they're valued. They worship a goddamn blood god. This is as tropey as possible of describing what a barbarian society would be like. And I feel like the author is doing that so it can immediately get the practiced readers of this particular genre in the mindset of this world. To then explain how utterly torturous that would be to a person that does not immediately identify with that, and has to see their children submit, the
2: children and families submit and break to that. And but so, hasn't
1: that been do- been done before?
2: Sure. Yeah, and and I think this is a a fun little short story in that genre. It, it's on right. well-tread ground. Okay. Um, and so uh, often with many short stories, and we've read a bunch, and you know some are better than others. Is it's hard to break completely new ground in a short story, because sure. a short story relies on your reader understanding some things about your narrative, because you can only explore so much within the confines of it being a short story. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's in some ways irrespective of a genre, and so the more you've read within that genre, short stories can be better or worse appreciated depending on how familiar you are with Any given subject, and you know, even in these past six short stories, we've covered a number of genres, and the knowledge that you have bring into it does impact how well you can understand the short story and how you appreciate it. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I appreciate
0: about the story is that it has almost a more so than many stories we've read for this this segment we've done uh, a complete understanding of itself with the. Possible exception of the gender issue we mentioned before it doesn 't have any really pretensions. It has an objective it 's a well tread ground story, but it renders it well and it 's not really trying to be much more than that it 's just trying to tell us tell a story that we 've probably all heard before in different ways in a particular setting and give you the emotional experience of the characters going through that and I can appreciate an author that's not that's tr- has an objective and accomplishes that objective even if it 's not aiming necessarily. As high as it could have been
1: It's. and mm-hmm. sorry, Spencer, you said um that your dad particularly liked this story, right?
0: uh no, I actually said that about uh, and now his lordship laughed. I've yet to get his opinion oh, on the story, but i'm okay. vi- I have I have predictions about how he's going to react
1: yes interesting yeah, yeah because i i did, I read the story this morning, I did not do a lot of prep for this episode, I'm sorry, y'all no. uh, but I read the story this morning, and I enjoyed reading it. Yeah, so I would liken
2: this story to, like, a BLT with, like, orange zest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you go on, BJ? You know,
2: it's, it's well-tread ground. It's something that a lot of people are going to like. And it has an ingredient which, you know, could go in different ways, but doesn't, like, immediately go with, like, what you're trying to put forward.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and perhaps isn't immediately off-turning in what's going on you just sort of wait to see if it like has actual relevance in what is right. happening and it, okay. you know
2: it's kind of weird it, it's kind of gimmicky and you know it could work mm-hmm. but it's probably not going to be a game changer
1: sure are we in bj are we in the diner drive-in or dive of what might one might expect from fantasy stories um
2: i would say drive um you know because we're, we're we're i mean or maybe we're, we're in a themed diner there we are we're in a theme mm-hmm. diner. Okay. um because this is this is good solid short story fantasy reading and mm-hmm. this would be um this would be a very good short story in a compendium of short stories released by this author that deal in either a similar world or a similar issue looked at different ways.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: As a standalone, I think it it, su- it suffers.
0: It, I, almost, I mean, To work off this very interesting way of framing this in terms of restaurant orders, I feel like <laughs> this story is if you go into that new trendy restaurant that just opened up that's the happening place that got a, a mention in the newspaper is the new modern restaurant.
1: It's and probably billed as a sort of farm-to-table something.
0: A farm-to-table something, which we're kind of—I'm setting up as being the Hugo Awards now. And sure. you look down the Fair. menu, and you see all these incredibly creative things. And the waiter comes up and says, "Well, what would you like?" And I ask if I can order off-menu a ham sandwich. And the the uh, chef very begrudgingly gives me a ham sandwich with just just elaborate garnish. Which is just maybe justified. it has
1: some arugula on it. Yeah. There's some arugula in this dish.
0: It's like either this is the we, the one dish on the menu that fit, <laughs> that, that fits a much more, less much less discerning palate, or it's been ordered off menu and they've had to bandy it up a bit to fit the to fit the uh, the
1: setting. But to, it's to, to make the chef not quit. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. But so, it's a so, damn good ham sandwich. It's just I, it also okay. got unnecessary fixings to fit the venue.
2: I love this, and I think that we should do this for every short story that we read. We eat. What is
1: the dish associated uh, with?
2: Describe the dish that we think is represented by this story.
1: Mm -hmm. I love it.
2: Um, And I, you know, I think we discussed this previously that, you know, in the future, we're probably going to do a bunch of short stories in pairs. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to have like a meal that we end up eating with this uh, (laughs) two, two short story uh,
1: dish pairing. I love it. Oh, okay. I think this is great, and if I were going to uh, sort of give some preliminary thoughts on the dish associated with a catalog of storms, yep. there would be a lot of foam involved.
0: Yes. I was going to go with like maybe a very, very elaborately presented, incredibly light sherbet that turns mm. out to be surprisingly flavorless.
2: Uh, that would
1: include foam. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs>
2: So, like, I, I, funny enough, had a very similar thought, but mine was more if if you made, like, whipped potatoes, but oh. you added a flavorless fat instead of butter, oh. and so you, you mm. just sort of made something incredibly airy and light, but doesn't have any of the taste or richness that you would expect of mashed potatoes, and it's just sort of there, and it's not bad. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it has, like, and it's going to you know, have
1: more implications for your hips than you really acknowledged <laughs> in beginning with this. We yeah, are going you, off track. You know, it, it, it's,
2: it's flavored with, like, rose hips and a little bit of watercress. And it's just like, well, that makes no sense, but, eh, it's fine.
1: And yeah. you had to put 600 more calories in it to get those flavorings God. in there? Sure.
0: I, I'm just, I'm picturing my... I mean, This is the same comments I got from my dad on this story, but now I'm imagining him as at one of these restaurants, reading, like, the two-paragraph summary of the dish, and then turning to the waiter and just pointing and saying, So you mean mashed potatoes, right? (laughs) That's what this means, right? I'm getting potatoes in a bowl? Okay, I'll have potatoes in a bowl, please. You can leave out the prior two paragraphs. (laughs)
1: I love this so much. I think we should do this for all of the stories.
0: Okay. We, well, be prepared because we're doing our recap for our next segment. Have okay. your dishes ready.
1: <laughs> yes. So we are doing our recap for our next segment. But BJ, can I, can I suggest something for our next episode?
2: Uh, yes, please.
1: So I would like to um, do our, and this is entirely based on the email that you sent out about these, about these stories. But I would like to do our recap for the next episode and kind of give our rankings and all of that but can <laughs> we do a little bit of a uh, sorbet palate cleanser and talk about the naomi kritzer
0: absolutely
1: <laughs> story in this
2: <laughs> so, love the description of that it's so, behind so the scenes, um i i don't remember how i came across this but i came across another short story which is just a wonderful little happy short story that that i sent along with a list of the stories that we were actually going to do because those were the Hugo Award nominees. Yes. And, and so, yes, uh, we can definitely do that. Um, I want to talk about the pairings and have you guys discuss like what, how you felt about the pairings, whether you would have done things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be an interesting sum up. I do feel like before we go too far into we're going into the next episode, I, I, I feel like we actually need something to left to say. Talk about "Do Not Look Back, My Lion" and discuss like what the plot was, other <laughs> rather than oh
1: yeah, Can just we do the a overview of the of this? story. <laughs> I I, I, I I just feel like we left behind pot what, plot on this whole episode, so well we, we, it's the wholesale. problem again, this
0: is the frame this is the pairing issue when you start with Catalog of Storms, you're inviting throwing out the
2: plot for whatever follows right for but, th- but for this because one. we're i I think all fairly happy with the plot of this story and yeah. the story that it ends yes. up telling. I feel like we should talk a little bit about it rather than no, no, no. Here are the I, other I, things that we're not as happy with.
0: I was, about to inter- I was about to interrupt. Fair. I was going to interrupt Fair. and say, let's at least everybody say one thing they liked about the story because we all said we liked it. Why? But for plot, uh, as said, yes. we, we are in what appears to be a relatively new um, kind of uh, establishing savage society that only like a generation back was just some isolated huts, but due to the ambition of a uh, emperor uh, who I think is pretty strongly suggested or even outright stated by the story is the mother of the wife. Of
2: the, our main character? I think that's just her name. That, or at least that's how yeah, I interpreted I didn't, it.
1: I didn't get that. It could, like be, the, it could be possible, but like I didn't know that. I mean, kind of po- like
2: Mothers of Dragons isn't the mother of any character. It's just she's the mother wolf or whatever.
0: But there, There is a moment when she comes to visit of where she says, you two need to leave, and then she refers to the mother, who I think his name is Talan, as being, uh, come to me, my daughter or something like that. That could entirely be symbolic, that could entirely just be continuing the very pronounced repeated titles in this world, but mm-hmm. it is it is cited, And it could also explain the emotional just binding that the uh, wife has for this emperor figure. But also, that could just be indoctrination throughout the sighting. But let's get to that yeah. in a minute. In terms of plot, uh, this story is built around uh, is built around our main character, Aoife, who is in the is referred to the story as the husband, but is in a decidedly maternal role in this society. She is a she is a home a caregiver of the home. She raises the children. She is an, even a healer by profession, in part built upon her particular outlook in life, which does not square very well with society, but also what appears to be a from birth physical deformity in the form of a club foot, mm-hmm. which does not in, which is in no way in keeping with the new purpose of this world, which is it built entirely on war, conquering. Honor and pride and, and battle, as much bloodlust as is humanly possible. Even worshiping, it even the society appears to be built around a prior existing two twin gods, but with one now rising to such abject prominence that the other one has fallen into dusty ruin.
2: Yeah. So there's this sort of yin yang, male traditionally male female warrior healer uh, duality in in this society that, in some ways, I would say has. Re- Place the gendering that would be more common to this sort of story, and so there's the
1: go ahead. I'm sorry. uh,
2: The warrior god and the healer god, the warrior wife and the healer husband uh, duality, Mm -hmm.
1: and it gets a little. What I was going to say is it gets a little confused in this. You know, part of my uh, difficulty with this story, but it gets a little confused in what is gendered and what is not. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I think is intentional in the story it does, just doesn 't play with me in ways that i that I resonate with, um, because you have this sort of submissive domestic role being played by both male and female characters mm-hmm. and you have the sort of term mannish being thrown around as a derogatory term. It, it, it just gets a little confused.
0: And I think part of that confusion is in the how out of place our main character is in this society that has developed. Yes, we, we even hear said that um, our that her husband the uh, names are very strange in this book, so they don't really stick with me. Talan, I think, is the name for sorry, wife, Yes. and uh, that she was pressured by society to have married a man first for the purpose of making children, for the purpose of or continuing to have tree.
1: married some sort of. A war hero.
0: Warrior upstanding. The fact that she marries someone would who would have
1: been a woman in this society.
0: Right. So either you yeah. marry someone domestic, which in this society is a man and serves that role, or you marry a woman who serves an equal role to you and just embodies our virtues. The fact that you've married a yes. woman in a traditional role is not in keeping with what the society is built around. And I think there's mm-hmm. a certain implication that we get that this society is very new. I think even maybe this gender, this, this new gender system is very new. 'Cause we hear that not like a generation earlier, the Emperor was a slave in one of these more seemingly traditional societies, escaped, mm-hmm. and then founded this world. And what we hear about the wars that are being fought along the margins, they seem to be wars fought with much more traditional fantasy societies than what this one is now embodying. So it almost feels yeah. like AIFA may be a throwback to what world was before that even some of them may remember from not being that long ago. Mm-hmm. At is, whether that be a choice on her part is his nature of her character or just a result of the fact that she even
2: physically can't fit in with this new expectation for women right mm-hmm. and it is fairly unclear and then yeah. we all then we get the introduction of a pregnancy uh, with well, Talon yeah
0: I mean I think the framing device throughout all of this is that because she does not fit in because she really riles against what this world is and what it expects of her family and her blood Aoife spends a lot of the story trying to escape, but is continually captured by her absolute love and adoration of her wife, Talat.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, what we are dealing with is essentially a domestic drama.
2: That is pretty yes. much the story. And, and a rebellion against the necessity of pledging children to a warrior society. And so it start, sort of starts out with Aoife yes. wanting to leave because she can't deal with her children being essentially forced to become warriors. Particularly now the new child is on the way and she
0: doesn't want to have to live through this again. Right. And it
1: has been like probably 10 years maybe 16. since the last child was, 16 since the last child was born. So she thought she was done with this.
0: Yeah, and she's not ready for it again. She can't endure it mm-hmm. again. It seems like mm-hmm. there's many aspects, though it very clearly established that Aoife is just head over heels about Talam. She also profoundly resents her and her decisions. She she resents that she's been forced through this again, the fact that Talan took a lover, seemingly without discussing with her, and has gotten pregnant again from a camp follower. She resents that Talan is bound, unlike she is absolutely emotionally and by honor, to this warrior society and will do whatever the society demands of her and her blood. And she knows this logically and knows that in some ways going back is not going to be good for her. But emotionally, she is joined at the hip with this woman and cannot escape her. And so when she rides out after her, after a pretty brief conversation of where she promises her everything, essentially, that she wants to come back, she agrees, but with underlying doubts that she's willing to banish just because she loves her so completely she's willing to trust her,
2: despite what she's saying being not in keeping with what the society stands for. And so we see a fairly quick progression in the pregnancy and sort of things happening Um, there isn't much progression with Aoife but there is another sort of outing in the war uh, by Talan as she's somewhat more pregnant Um, Mm. and a concern of Aoife like hey you're pregnant you can't just like be on the forefront of battle Um, and we get this uh, you know all a warrior wants is to die nobly in battle. Basically,
1: <laughs> at the same time that another one of Talon's children, who are uh, Ifa's kind of near children, as I think what they're mm-hmm. they're termed, yeah. also dies on this battlefront, and yet this was clearly it. It he was the weakest of the children,
2: but the, a favorite child. But mm-hmm. a
1: favorite child. Yes, was the, was and this the most is a, her. a yes. But also, a, a the, the, yeah, he was, the, he was the most favorite of Talon.
0: He uh, was most favorite, I think, of possibly of both of the parents. Yes. Despi- despite uh, maybe some indications to the contrary. That for Aoife, he's the most like her. That he yes. is the most sensitive, he's the most caring, he's the one that's most connected with her with respect to her healing arts. He's been the one that's had the most emotional complexity and potential of any of the other ones. Who have otherwise very much fit into the warrior woman role that Talon represents even more than she actually is. So we get a lot of hints that though Talan is held up, we, both of these individuals are framed as being the representatives of the gods of their society, given how symbolic they've now become. Ifa represents the maternal healing god that's kind of been forgotten and banished to the margins, and Talan represents the warrior god that now embodies their society. But, the more we see of Talan, the more we realize that though she is placed in that role, particularly by the direction of the emperor, who even personally intervenes to demand that she join this war, despite Ifa's. Well, despite the promises to Aoife and Aoife's concerns, Talon's a lot more complex than that and is very much in grief upon the loss of her son when they come back from war. Mm
1: -hmm. And that really structures what happens going forward, right? Because Talon was already pregnant. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Like six months at the time she rode to war.
1: Yes, and was in this situation. Uh, And, you know, she has had conversations with the emperor um, about what is going on and what her role is in it, but Talon has promised Aoife that this child, this new child, is not going to war. It will
0: not, it will not be physically marked for it as a blooded, scarred warrior, which appears to be yes. a pretty intense cut through uh, through and around the eye.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so after this sort of latest battle, uh, Talon goes into labor. Mm-hmm. Aoife deals with the labor. Um, The child is born, and Aoife goes off uh, to the temple, essentially, and gives a sacrifice, or certainly gives prayers to uh, the god of life, Mm -hmm. or the goddess of life, or whatever.
2: The healer god, sort of the other side of the... Yes. Duality.
1: Under the assumption that... Things are progressing, progressing according to her deal with Talon. hmm
0: Because really we've already seen the first, we've already, we've already seen a couple betrayals, but certainly the first betrayal of the story of where Talon had basically promised she wasn't going to ride to war. That in some way the family would be protected, they would be spared this war. It's kind of yes. off camera compared more to this promise, this promise being more important. But they've gone through that. They've gone through it together. In some ways, it almost even made them closer because they've suffered together for this, even as much as it is a betrayal that they're still part of the society and allowing it to happen. But she's yes. found some comfort in, okay, at least it will never happen again. At least this child will be spared all of that. At least I will finally have a child of my own and my ways that I can raise in my light and that potential. So she's mm-hmm. found a lot of comfort in that, built a lot into that. Especially
2: because a lot of the other near children she, are, are basically carbon copies of Talan without the uh, yeah, heart of gold. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. With all of the like emotional foibles that one might expect from warrior children.
0: Right. They are embodying the facade of, of Talan, but not the person. Yes. And so... Having set this up, we get our second betrayal, this one much worse than the first. As she returns home, only to find out that in her absence, and she hears the screams of the newborn babe, the new girl has been marked as well.
1: Which is not Talon's doing. I think we should kind of point out at the outset. At least in my mind, it's not Talon's doing.
0: She she has not done it. She has allowed it to happen. Right.
1: Yeah, and I say that, I mean, I don't... I think that we don't get like a real understanding based on the sort of convoluted gender roles that are happening here. We don't get a real understanding of what childbirth means Mm -hmm. to Talon, like physically means to Talon, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, Um, I mean, we have some Because I think
1: that a lot of things happen to babies when mothers are not like super able to give their input on what happens. Sure. And I would say that like what happens in the rest of the story, it, it could go either way, but we certainly get an indication that Talon did not want this to happen.
2: Or, I, I think, I guess I read it as, while she might not have wanted to happen in retrospect, she wasn't, she didn't fight for it to begin with. And that sort of sure. is the the turning point that we'll get to. And And so the other thing that I will say is a lot of the descriptors after this birth make it a very... Um What I guess I would say is relatable to other descriptions of birth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so it 's mm-hmm. still a very uh relatable thing as opposed to uh and still like a human quality particularly yeah. through the, particularly through the perspective of Aoife.
0: that we get some hit, in terms of her presenting this to other people we get some response from them that is decidedly foreign to us, but from her, it is just this very much. Recognizing to recognizable to us sense of triumph, pride, of accomplishment, of relief that is very human in a way that a lot of these other responses don't appear to be.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but I, I, in terms of why if Talon's allowing this to happen or not, we see a lot of times that she retreats into this kind of conditioned response to things, this just re- repetition of the code in moments where she can't, doesn't really have any other response that is kind of removing herself from the decision. It is just leaving yes. herself to the whims of fate the whims of what well, more accurately the empress well
2: um, and also
1: and just go ahead bj i'm sorry
2: um i was gonna say and, and what's acceptable in society sure and yes in terms of and it is only when she's either in private or in particular strength that she's willing to buck normative gender roles or normative mm-hmm. whatever roles you want expectations to. yes mm-hmm. um and, but when she doesn't have that um, extra whatever it is coming back from a battle or or otherwise uh, in extreme regard by the society, she conforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it, it's even just it's even just represented by the moments that she conforms. The moments we hear this are moments after she's
2: been separated from Aoife's company, and mm-hmm. and moments of weakness. Sure. Um, yeah. So. Sorry, sorry, you were going to...
1: No, no, I think that's exactly right, because I think that, like, the moments after birth are are moments of weakness. I was only going to say um, that what she gives into, just to clarify that, is the sort of normative societal value that her daughter is going to become a warrior.
2: Mm-hmm, right. And this comes with a, uh, what we would probably term a mutilation of her face... And certainly a
1: scarring, yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah, a scarring along with a an impressive scar, not just like a but one that is made to be red and impressive.
1: Yes, certainly with within this particular society, which I think we get a little bit of um, insight into later on what that might mean in the wider world, mm-hmm. um, but this is what this is what Talon has allowed to happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And from there, we immediately transition to very, very much where the story started, but with a different take on it. Of where Aoife is once again running, and she assumes that she's on her own, and almost assumes this, and assumes that again she's going to be chased the same way that she was before. Mm-hmm. And she's right, but Talan has gone on an emotional journey in the story that our actual main character probably hasn't. Yes. Of where where our main character is ending up very much where she began, in some ways just free from the connections that were previously binding her, at least hoping that she can get free from them this time the way she wasn't before. Talon,
2: on the other hand, has gone fully into her camp, at least in the only way that she can. And she's come to acknowledge that the way of society and marking these girls to become warriors is not right for at least uh, this newest daughter. Um. Not only that,
0: though, because she does set up very much... Not only, uh, not am I okay with you going, I have set up the means for which you can go. I've provided you a means yes. of getting milk, I've provided you a ride, I've provided you a pre-packed pack. I've given you the exit plan and the exit means, go now. Okay, why aren't you going too? Because I intend to kill this world before I do.
1: Yeah, the, the amount of, like... Advanced planning on Talon's part was actually the, like, main surprise, surprising moment of the story. Yeah. Yeah. To me. Um Like, I, I totally get that she had been committed to this idea of this new daughter was going to be kind of dedicated in service of the other twin of these gods and was going to be a healer and was going to be kind of doing something on different lines. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but and the extent to which she was willing to say, no, this is, this society is wrong. You and have I think to get it's, out.
2: it's the scarring of this daughter that makes her realize how much that pressure is and how much needs to change. Yeah. And that preparation and then conviction on what she needs to do and how much that will affect things. Mm-hmm. And that she needs to send this daughter off with uh, Aoife.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we can leave behind the loss of the son too particularly with the yes. fact that the daughter is being named after the lost son and how much that yes. m- seems to really mean to talon in the moment that ifa thinks of it um
1: and it was very clear that he was the favorite
0: yeah and it's and, very clear
2: that she wants to give this child a life beyond what the the son was ever capable of and mm-hmm. and i think that's sort of a a barb that brings her to this conclusion
3: mm-hmm. yes and, and, and it
2: it's really these moments with Talan that I think is the,
0: one of the things that makes this story stand out as something more unique in the playing with tropes element. Of where mm-hmm. Talan, physically and in role and in a position in the story, represents Conan the Barbarian. That's the role. She's meant to be the brute barbarian man. But she really isn't. She really has a lot more emotional complexity and goes on probably the more interesting journey of this story yes. for any of the characters. And this that... is the main character, but not the focus character. Right, mm-hmm. and that and... is kind of our playing with tropes moment that we were looking for to a degree. Is Talon, I think.
2: Yes, and I think that that's why this story does so well up and up until like the the parts that we already discussed. Is that in its pared down parts, it is the double subversion of the uh, the trope of the one would expect in many ways that the shrinking character to do something impressive or powerful and sort Mm -hmm. of like the if you're just subverting the you know powerful and not powerful characters
0: Mm -hmm. one thing we've we've, that we're getting near the end of the story one thing i want to mention that i think the story does so well that so many of the other short stories haven't that we've read is that it knows how to do acts it knows how to do segments of its story. It knows when to take a breath and take a break and present its moment and then move on to what the next moment needs to be for that story. It's a well structured story in a way that we've complained about for several of these previously that it, the structure was a detriment to its overall success. This one, the structure, while very straightforward and linear is mm-hmm. very successful because it's accomplishing each of the beats that it needs to before moving on to the next, and doesn't have to harken back other than to reference how a character is at a similar moment as to a pr- one that's been previously presented.
1: Yeah, and I was I was completely prepared when I first opened the story to read it to say, this is too long.
0: Mm-hmm. And it is long. I I was... This, this it, may be the longest one is... we've read. Um, it, it is, it's, mm-hmm. it's
1: a long read. I don't know where it is on kind of word count. Um, but it is, it is a long read, but I think kind of though. too, it doesn't feel like that. But I also think to your point, Spencer, it, it takes, this is a story not unlike, and I would never in any other way compare it to this, but like Cannibal Women of Ratnamar Island, it takes exactly the time that it needs. hmm
0: Yeah. And that um, makes for a it's one of the things that we talked about is that I BJ, I don't literally know this. This is the longest story. It, it definitely, it definitely has a lot of scroll on the page. As I say, as I look at this yeah. on the computer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like
2: <laughs> it but. is a longer short story, but it doesn't, it doesn't drag. Not at all. No, it,
1: there's not excess there.
2: I, I was worried when I read this because
0: I read this like 45 minutes before we started because I read catalog before and I delayed <laughs> way too long. And I was looking at this going, oh shit, how am I gonna get through this in time? And then like 15 minutes later, I'm done. I'm like, huh?
2: Well, I guess I'll reread part of it because I got time again. Yep. Yeah. And I, in terms of feeling, and and I feel like it'd be interesting to look at word counts, uh, like blood is another word for hunger felt way, 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 way longer. Oh yeah. Well,
1: partial and and I think this is your point BJ, it had so much that it didn't need there.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is some that isn't needed here. Uh, but sure. it, it does take the time to go through. And as you said, Spencer, it goes through acts and so you can take a breath and then you can continue and it doesn't go too long. And, and for the most part, and it's not too short.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so the other thing that I wanted to say about this short story and sort of finish up my thought about the tropes is that like the secondary trope is the, like the gender swap, which has been, has happened before. But I think that the interesting part here is that you have the powerful character undergoing a change that isn't becoming particularly weak or particularly emotional, but does Mm -hmm. undergo that character growth. And it is in the view of the weaker character.
1: Interesting. So you're talking about Aoife
2: particularly, right? Uh, Aoife is the secondary, It is the focus of the story, but is the secondary character. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And, and Talon, while, is the powerful character, but, the, but she has the change. Mm-hmm. She has the change that we're following the story, not Aoife.
1: Yes, yes.
2: Uh, I
0: also have an answer for you about those two stories and their length. Uh, okay. Th- this story is 17 pages, just under 6,000 words, if moved to a word mm-hmm. document in terms of its current form. Uh, blood is another word for hunger. Is nineteen pages, closer to seven thousand words. Okay. So blood is is okay. longer, but I I would say that
2: it feels a lot longer than that one sixth edition. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and so the other thing that I like um, is when you understand the title and the title feels right for the story.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think okay. it's something that I'd like to discuss in the next episode. But I think this story did it well. Mm-hmm. It, uh, this is the title I've come the
0: farthest around uh, about of where I joked when, you know, when we were going earlier about this one It fits one with the others and just having a weird damn title looked at at the beginning of it but mm-hmm. come the end of this story yeah I'm actually with you
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, but where this story does end I think we should just re- finish the plot real damn quick yes. uh, yep. that upon receiving the pack upon receiving the instructions Ifa sets off with the understanding that Talon intends to kill the Empress kill Based on my interpretation, her mother, or at least the mother of this society, from the decidedly um, matrilineal uh, basis of it, yep. and as Eva rides off to pastures unknown, she becomes convinced from various other signs that Talan has succeeded. But she doesn't ride back to her, and she just kind of ponders briefly what the world for her child is going to be like in this mm-hmm. downfall of society, and what she what she will and won't tell her about what the world is that she came up in and why she is marked as she is. Yep.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things and I think we'll we'll probably talk more about this next episode, but like in this calculus of in a short story, what are you going to focus on? Right? What is going to be the main objective or or, or the main facet of the story that you're telling? Mm-hmm. Whether it's characters or plot or or world building or, or whatever it is. Um this is a a particular story for me because it is I care about the characters, I guess. I get. I probably care a little bit more about the world building that is going on within the story. But by the end of it, I am left with so many questions about where actually were we in this world? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? We're within an empire, but what does that mean right. within the larger structure of that world? Because like, what what we are left with is the idea that this could crumble pretty immediately.
0: Yeah, with the loss of a single person.
1: And so what it, what does that mean in terms of world building? And that was not a place I expected to end up at the end of this story and a place I am, I am very glad to have ended up in this, in this story. Because like, I think it's a very simple story of individuals,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think but the sort the, of
1: outward casting of what happens in the world is really interesting.
2: Yeah. Um, and so I was gonna say is I think that the other f- interesting thing that maybe like I think we should discuss next episode, that this um, and some of the other short stories that, that we have read bring about is short stories are going to be a section of sort of a larger narrative often that, that is parceled off and the, a lot of other parts are assumed. And I think that there are stories that could continue and would be interesting. And I don't think this is one of them. I think that if there was any more written in this story, I wouldn't, I, I would dislike reading it unless it were completely different because I don't care about the characters that are
1: left. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with you, BJ. I, and I, I think that's an interesting question to raise in our next episode is like, what, where are we left in these stories mm-hmm. and are they complete within the genre themselves? Right. Um, because I actually, I suspect and maybe this is a little teaser for the next episode, I suspect that the stories that we have found overall most successful are complete within the genre Mm
3: -hmm.
0: instead
1: of asking for something else to be done.
0: Mm -hmm. In my mind, I am always about... As much as I enjoy the beginnings of things, I almost view the success of something by how it ends. Because I view that as almost the most difficult thing you would accomplish with a story, is finding a satisfying conclusion or a satisfying wrap-up. And particularly with a short story, I feel like almost the entire story is the ending, just due to the nature of the limited medium. And so,
3: Hmm.
0: to the degree you succeed in that, in wrapping up something so quickly, ah, yeah, I always treasure that, because of how hard that is to pull off. So, yeah, I very much agree with your assessment, Sarah, that I think the most successful ones we've done are the ones that can be complete in providing an ending in a a medium that gives you so little time to accomplish anything else. Yeah. But... Uh,
1: Speaking of having no time to accomplish anything else...
0: (laughs) Okay, can I just mention one last thing before we do the transition? Please do, Spencer. (laughs) Uh, Just something that caught my eye. Uh, Just to compare what the the names of the uh, volumes or the sites these came from. Uh, Yes, yes. Yeah. Of where it's it's such a switch between the two of where catalog storms intensely poetic intensely you know well written but conf- but well written but confusing is just in uncanny magazine, while the much more straightforward traditional narrative in the sense of do not lock back my line is in beneath ceaseless skies. It's just an interesting mix of po- of
2: of uh, poeticism in the title versus poeticism in the story. Yeah, and I I think it's something that. You know maybe at some point should we should have a conversation about especially if we do groups of short stories and mm-hmm. where the i i don't know what a better term for it is but the whatever the equivalent of impact factor is for literature yeah um because some of these are going to be probably more well-known uh publications mm-hmm. uncanny is is a fairly old, as I remember, publication Mm -hmm. where, um, Beneath
1: the Ceaseless Sky is relatively young.
2: Yes. Um,
1: and I I can, I have a, I have some comments on this as kind of the former editor in chief of a literary magazine. Um, like I can, I can speak to this particular thing a little bit. Please. Cool.
2: Well, but that is a
1: a long form conversation (laughs) though.
2: Yeah. You have five minutes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so so we should probably have for next episode, and that way sure. we yeah. can encompass all of these stories and talk a little bit about that. And maybe mm-hmm. that, you know, this will be a general thing when we do wrap-ups of our groups of short stories and pairings that hopefully we'll do going forward as um, I think as we discussed, and hopefully this will work out, we'll do a couple of novels each year, and we'll figure out exactly how many, but in between we'll do... Groups of stories with pairings. And then after we've read the entire group, we'll discuss the pairings. We'll discuss mm-hmm. maybe where they're in, uh, what foods and dishes these are, <laughs> as well as a couple of other things. Um, and, I like this this
1: development. There. Yes.
2: <laughs> okay. I think we got a good plan for next time. But if people uh, are jonesing for material before they get to listen to us again, BJ, where would they find uh, So you can find all of our podcasts. Uh, We have a complete channel with Mangum Talks with a bunch of other podcasts. um, And uh, that includes Whiskey on the Weekends, uh, Mangum Hoops, Mangum Talks TV, um, and a whole back catalog of all of the things that we've done. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or comments, you can click Contact Us in the upper right-hand corner of MangumTalks.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page and a podcast within a podcast called Pottering Around, where we do a chapter-by-chapter read of Harry Potter and possibly a sub-genre content uh, YouTube channel that is Pottering Around Extras. And with that, this has been a blast as always, everybody. Um, it's been fun. Yeah, until next time.
1: Bye, y'all. Okay.